0: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Where Do We Begin? My name is Harper and my co-host is Lockie. How are you on this fine day, Lockie?
1: I'm absolutely exceptional and I'm just pumped to sit down with one of the greatest hockey players of all time.
0: Yeah, so am I. Like, I bet you guys will love this chat, even if you're not into hockey at all. uh, We're not the biggest hockey fans in the world ourselves. We don't claim to be, but uh, we do love good chats with good people and that's exactly what Alison and it is. so should we just get straight into it? Let's dive in. Now, I'll, go, so I'll get super excited for every guest we have on the show, but this one is a really, it's truly an honor to have this guest on the show. Uh, I know she's a pretty humble woman, but I'll do the bragging on her behalf. So she's the record goal scorer uh, for the Hockey ruse. She's won two Olympic gold medals, two uh, Hockey World Cups, and she's just one of the greatest hockey players of all time, really. And on top of that, she is coaching the best Uh, women's hockey national team in the world right now. I'm delighted to welcome onto the show, Alison Annan. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, we're we're going pretty well. Uh, Lockie, how are you, mate?
1: Mate, I'm superb. As I was telling Allison before, off air just you know, went for a run, went down to the beach. I'm absolutely on that endorphin high that exercise gives you. So I'm going superbly, and also I'm just <laughs> pumped. I'm so pumped and excited. Like I just love learning new things, and to be honest, I've never played hockey before. But it is just an honour that we have one of the, the greatest that's ever done it on on the show to talk about it and teach us some stuff. And I, I've got, I'll ask the first question, Alison. Normally we ask it, but I like how you asked it, got in the front foot. It's a good sign of things to come. And so my first question though, which is, it's always a real tough one is, well, how's 2020 been for you? Because I'm sure it hasn't gone exactly how you uh, planned it being an Olympic year and no Olympics occurring.
2: Yeah, look, it has been, you know, it has been a difficult year for everyone. I don't think we're, you know, we're any, any exception, uh, the biggest it, difference for us is that we were definitely working towards Olympic games uh you know we started this year with uh, six months preparation a little over six months preparation to Olympic games and you know halfway to the halfway to, to the olympics it you know the, it sort of got and it took took away of taken away and uh, i guess you know we were pretty much preparing from the beginning of the year that this could be a possibility uh, we were in actually in China in January of this year, and before we arrived there, we'd heard of the a, a virus that was spreading quite vividly in, uh, in 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 China. So we were aware of something that was happening uh, when we arrived in America a week later. It was you know worldwide. So for us, it was not something that we weren't expecting. We were pretty much preparing ourselves for. The possibility of the Olympics wouldn't go ahead uh, when it was announced that it was cancelled. We, you know, we were prepared. Um, it's been difficult in Holland with the different lockdowns, with the different phases in the lockdowns. Uh, you know, we haven't yet had a total lockdown, which is disappointing on one side of things. But, it, you know, the life, there's not been so much isolation as in other countries.
1: Yeah, just um, so Alison, you obviously is the uh, just for any listeners wondering. So she's a coach of the uh, the best women's hockey team in the world, the number one, the uh, the Netherlands team. When did you find out that the Olympics weren't going ahead? And I guess how did you deal with that? Because it must have been such a shock. Because there's so much preparation going into these games. You know, four years of preparation. I know that it's at, in athletics. I'm sure it's similar in hockey in that it's sort of like, like it's a big milestone event. I, I guess how did you deal with that disappointment of finding out just probably however long before that it was cancelled.
2: Yeah, look, look, like I said, we'd we'd kind of be pre- been preparing about preparing. So we've been we've been we've been talking about it. You know, there yeah. might be a chance. The chance. Was still are, a surprise
1: when it did happen?
2: Uh, look, it was it it was a disappointment, but it wasn't a surprise. So uh, I guess that takes a little bit of the the heaviness of the disappointment away. Uh, it was, you know, before before the announcement, uh, it was okay. Let's prepare ourselves. So we're going to prepare and this a, a new summer. Um, you know, talking to the players, it could happen. It got actually officially announced. We had a, a Zoom coffee with the team in the morning uh, the day that it got cancelled um, for definite. And that morning we said, look, what are the chances? And I just said to them, look, it's not going to happen, so let's just move forward. And the girls were good. I gave them some time to think about what they wanted because there was going to be players that are going to stop uh other girls saw more opportunity so you know i guess for us uh, the disappointment wasn't as big as it could have been if we you know we weren't surprised let's put it that way
0: yeah uh, i know like at all levels of all sports the coach is the person that all the players are, l- are looking for the any words uh, that they're saying or words of advice anything like that so well, it must have been pretty tough for you to remain level-headed in in public at least in the public eye and keep the uh, optimism and keep working for the Olympics, which hopefully are going to be in 2021?
2: Oh, look, I have no problem with uh, changing. I have no problem with being flexible. I have seen this as giving us more chances and more options to do new things. So I've I've really, there's pretty much not been one, one point this year where I've looked at it negatively. Uh, of course, it's disappointing that it's not gone ahead. But at this, you know, this year I've seen a lot of opportunities, uh, and I've I've moved ahead positively. And with, you know, in doing that, I think that's made the for the girls a lot easier. Has it been easy? No, it's been extremely difficult this year because I've had to, you know, my flexibility levels have been increased enormously. Uh, you know, I don't think I've written as, as many programs in one year as I have in the last five it's just you know it's it's and you know there's been weeks where I've made a program for the next six months and then a week later had to change it and a week later after that I've had to change it there's been moments where you know within days that I've had to you know change the program so you know it's 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 opportunity and if you look at it negatively then you won't see the opportunity so you know I've really looked at this year as chance
1: I love that attitude. I love just the positive outlook because you can either look at it one way or the other. And I love how you look look at it as an opportunity to improve and grow, which is really the best thing you can really take and do in the circumstances. And I guess with what you know, with more events happening, particularly in Australia, with looking like the Australian Open will go ahead, are you confident that the Olympics will occur in 2021?
2: Look, uh, if you were to ask me this three months ago, I would say there's not a chance, absolutely no chance in the world. Uh, now I think that there's you know a fifty percent chance it'll go ahead. I, you know I, I think that um the vaccine is going to help. I think that if that and it's not just about having the vaccine, it's about getting it to everyone that needs it first, and then the athletes who you know who want it and need it to perform. I don't you know the last thing I would want is that we as athletes are given a vaccine before the rest who need it to play in Olympic games. I just don't think that that's you know ethically uh, okay. Um, and it needs to be worldwide, so you need to make sure that all of the countries that would take place in the Olympic Games are still able to so that's those are the things that you know keep me the fifty the percent that may not go ahead um, and also the challenges of so many athletes in Olympic uh, village feeding them, you know cleaning sanitizing those things you know I just that that i 'm hesitant about that
0: yeah in the Days, weeks uh, leading up to the announcement of if it will go ahead, if it's still 50-50 then and they end up do uh, they do end up saying that it will go ahead? Are you going to be totally comfortable going uh, to Japan with people from around the world just uh, in the Olympic event as a whole?
2: If that if it goes ahead, it goes ahead. We'll be prepared either way, uh, you know, and we'll uh, we'll make sure that we're prepared to go to the Olympics to win gold. That's our main goal. That's our main aim. Uh, and all of the aspects around that we have no control of. So the only thing, we you know, we need to make sure that we can keep control of what we can, we can control and the, and let the rest take care of itself. And if it's not, you know, if it's not ideal, it's not ideal, but, you know, we'll be preparing to go to the Olympics, no doubt.
1: Yeah, definitely. I feel like, yeah, you worry about the things that you can control, like your training, your preparation, the rest of the stuff, why stress yourself over it? you stressing is not going to change the outcome. So, yeah, I completely agree with that. Not that not that my opinion matters much. I'm just sitting at <laughs> home I'm doing a podcast. But I guess Everyone's now... opinion counts, eh, everyone's
2: opinion Everyone's opinion counts.
1: Oh, I might make that into a bumper sticker. <laughs> I love that. Um, now, let's go talk about your start of the start of your career. More importantly, I guess, how did you get started in hockey? I'd love to know what sort of sparked the love and your interest in the game.
2: Well, to be perfectly honest, I had no clue what hockey was. I had absolutely no interest in hockey. Um, What happened was is I was – look, we came from a family with – we didn't come from a rich background. We didn't come from a poor background, but we didn't come from a rich background. So we had one car, uh, a a brother and a sister who wanted to play sport. You could only be at one place at one time. Um, So we played sport together. Um, at, at the beginning, it was soccer. Uh, at one stage, I, you know, as a a, a girl, I wasn't allowed to play. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, I wasn't allowed to play um, soccer anymore. So the next best thing was, you know, I think we saw at the supermarket a call up for <coughs> um hockey players, and that became our sport. So nothing really uh, nothing really interesting.
1: I was just going to ask you, like, how old were you when you got your start in hockey?
2: <clears throat> I think I was about 10. Um, you know, I enjoyed playing soccer um, and 10, played in the under 12. And I played in boys hockey for three years. I didn't know that girls played hockey. I thought yeah. it was a boys sport. Uh,
0: that's, that's pretty amazing because... Just eight years later, you were uh, out there um, strutting your stuff for the hockey ruse. So, were you always a bit of a the hot prospect? Like you just had the knack for hockey from the start, or did you put in like just way more effort uh, year on year than everyone else that you played with?
2: Oh, look, I, uh, I I did I did a lot. So I combined a lot of different sports. Um, I I had to work hard to get where I was. Um. But I also had people surrounding me that assisted me in achieving and getting the best out of myself. So there's a lot of people who are an integral part of my youth growing up uh, who um, were pillars in my growth. Uh, Had I not had them in my youth, I wouldn't have been the person and player I am today or coach. Um, They have definitely formed who, who I was as a player and formed me as a person. Um, and I was lucky enough to meet them at, at a young age.
1: So, what's a pathway for hockey? So, how do you sort of go like repre- go on to represent Australia? I'd be really interested in that. Like, I don't know I'm 22. My best years ahead, are ahead of me. I be- might become super inspired from this inter- interviewing you, and I might go pick up a stick. <laughs> Although, judging by my other sports, I won't be any good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> look, uh, what? Well, yeah, what? Uh, you know, look in Australia, you've got the. Uh, you, the, the school sport, you know, and it starts there. You know, you, you play school sport. Uh, you play uh, um, state sport, state schools. Uh, from there, you go. You know, your club. You, you go to a club. You get selected with the with the with a national of a state side. Uh, so you go from school to club, club to um, regionals, regionals. You know, sort of. There's a whole pathway put out for you. You know, it's completely different here in Holland. I think that Australia have a very good sporting system and sporting uh, ladder to consistently make...
1: punching above our weight in most sports, aren't we?
2: It is, and it's because of it's because of school sports. You know, school sports is an integral part of um, growing up in Australia, and that is not not the, not the case in a lot of countries. You know, we don't play. My sons go to school here; they don't play school sport. Really. They have, they have, you know, twice a week an hour gym and that's it. They don't play school sport. If you want to be involved in sport in Holland, it's pretty much you have to be involved in a, in a club. And, you know, clubs cost money. Uh, it's, mm. you know, it's a, a sort of elite status here. Um, the most kids play football, soccer, soccer, because it's easy and accessible. You don't need much equipment. Um, but in Australia, it's it's yeah, you know, it's an integral part of your life, and that makes the steps towards making a national team, making a state team, national team, uh, the pathways there for you. You know, it's what you do with the pathway uh, that makes the difference.
0: Yeah, like I, I know in your era, obviously the Australian team was one of if not the best in the world uh, <laughs> consistently, but. Uh, back when you were growing up, did, did you have many hockey roos or men's players, kookaburras, to look up to? It Was hockey something that you were a fan of watching, not only playing?
2: Uh, once I started playing, I started being more interested in the, in the game. I definitely had um, my idols in the sport, you know, I, and I was fortunate enough to come in contact with them at a very early age. You know, I, I was... And I know I trained when I think I was 14 or 15 when I trained with my first idol, you know, Kim Small, Loretta Dorman, uh, both national players that I was able to train with at a young age, uh, being given the opportunity to do so. You know, I was coached by Beth Shea, Judy Lang, uh, both state players, very good state players who also gave me the opportunity to train at a higher and elite level. Uh, Greg Corbin was the the New South Wales women's coach who – brought in a you know a very young player to be able to train with the very best you know these are people that gave me opportunity and you know and i had my you know john robinson uh, as it was my third grade school teacher who you know was the president of the, the local hockey association who really also gave me the pathway to become a better player and a better person so look you know these people were my idols back then you know all of them and when you're surrounded by, you know, I remember a training that uh, I was, you know, being a little bit lazy and Loretta Dorman, national player, knew exactly what you needed to get there, just, you know, told me in no uncertain way that I was being a lazy shit and I needed to get my act together if I wanted to make it so, you know, get moving. And those are the people that helped me become the player who I was.
1: I'd love, I'd love to know, so what attributes... I- Make a great hockey player from your perspective, as both uh, having coached at the highest level and played at the highest level. What are the key attributes to really succeed in the sport?
2: Look, I guess um, <clears throat> you have to be uh, you have to you have to have a high learning curve. So I really believe that if you uh, you can teach someone to uh, to. To run, the people can run, right? You know, so your speed's, speed's one thing, but speed is not everything. So, you know, uh, I would say, um, um, I'm just trying to find the English word. It's been a long time since I've had <laughs> to say this in English. I generally say it in Dutch. Yeah? So uh, <laughs> um, you have to be uh, agile. Uh, you definitely have to have a conditional background. So your condition has to be very good. Um, so stamina, a lot of stamina. Uh, speed is always, always helps. So that's like the physical side of things. Uh, I think if you're physically adept, then we can teach people to play hockey, you know, so it's not all that, it is a difficult game, but you can teach people skills uh, to play hockey. Um, and I think the mental side of things definitely needs to take a bigger role in um, what makes or breaks a player. Um, you know, uh, not everyone you can have the best players who aren't mentally capable, so you need to spend more time with them on the mental aspects of the game um, you know being being stress uh, being able to cope with stress um, making the right decisions um saying well you know that, so those are the those the social, those sorts of things also play a role in becoming a very good player
0: yeah I know i um, in ninety two which was a year after you debuted, I think you you guys finished fifth at the Olympics. And then uh, a year later, I believe in 93, uh, Rick Charlesworth, he comes in and that just brings in a golden era of uh, women's hockey in Australia, really. So uh, was he just like this amazing guy, just completely transformed it from the start? Because you, you won Olympic gold just three years later. So was it instant impact?
2: Yeah. Look, I just, I, 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 think that Rick did a, you know, Rick did a lot of great things, but I really believe also that the gold, you know, the golden era started in '88, right? So that's the first time that they won gold under Brian Glencross, um, and, you know, a lot of the stories in theory begins that it began with Rick, but in theory it began with Brian Glencross, and he, at, in his own way, made a change back in, you know, '85. You know, you guys weren't even born then. I think you know, eighty-five. Um, Definitely not. <laughs> Eighty-six. Yeah, exactly. You know, so they really changed. You know, Brian made a change, and they won in eighty-eight. Uh, they were successful. You know, through and they didn't win everything, but they were successful. That you know, they were in the top two, three. The Olympic Games in in Barcelona was the first tournament that we didn't that the Australian team didn't succeed. That we didn't we didn't succeed. Had we won there and Rick would have taken over in 93, the golden era would have started in 88. So, you know, I just, I think that needs to be said that it's not, you know, Rick did a lot of different things and he did, he did change the way we played. He was innovative. He really changed the way the game today. Um, But for Australian hockey, it started, it did start under Brian Glencross.
1: So what do you think was the biggest change? Because in 1996, you went on to win the gold. So do you think it's what Rick brought to the table? Do you think it was, I guess, the consistency in that team, having a couple more years, getting to play together, learning to know each other, the way that you play? What do you think was the biggest difference from the 1992 and the 1996 teams that really that enjoyed the ultimate success?
2: Yeah, look, I think uh, what Rick did is, Rick, um, Rick, we were always ahead of other teams. So he was innovative in such a sense that other teams were looking at us and catching up. So it was like a catch-up game, uh, which meant that, uh, you know, if he if he kept, you know, being innovative, then we kept, you know, we we stayed at number one. And we also had a very good team, you know. We had we had a great group of players who were all very good. You know, we didn't – there wasn't any weak link anywhere. That's <laughs> my son. Um, any weak link anywhere uh, in a team. And, you know, that's – he – He did that through hard work. And, you know, we had a a group of players who knew what it was to work hard, who um, were competitive within our team, you know, we were very competitive. We wanted to be the best um, and we worked hard together.
0: Yeah, that's just great. Really kind of um, amazing just transformation from like the golden era starting in '88 and then where you coming in just having that amazing period that you were part of the hockey for or almost successful for uh, most of your career just at the top of the Australian game and obviously winning those gold medals in 96 and 2000 was there much of a difference between the team and the way the team played between 96 and 2000 or was it just more of the same
2: Uh, well it was different so we made there there were changes made there were changes made uh, also with the playing group so the you know the leadership group um the way we changed the way we trained didn't change too much so we trained pretty much the same way at least that's what we that's what we think eh? so you know me as a coach now I I change things regularly and they hopefully they think that it's the same so that we don't feel the so they don't feel any sort of well, for me, the changing process has to be subtle um, so that, you know, it doesn't bring too much um, resistance. So I think that, you know, maybe there were, were changes back, back in the time that we didn't really uh, take, take note of. Um, the, the, the players' group stayed pretty much the same with a few uh, changes within the playing group. Uh, we did change our system which kept us alert which kept, you know that was sort of you know keep the mind, uh, keep the mind awake, um, challenge the mind as well. so we changed the system, but generally the rest pretty much stayed constant and that, that's also part of a, a good program. Eh? The, the consistency in a program is also very important. If you change the system, you change parts of the system, uh, if there's too much disruption in the program, then it's very difficult to be uh, successful.
1: Yeah, you can't learn, I guess, if you're constantly changing parts to the program. So, yeah, I definitely get that consistency now. What was it like? Home Olympics 2000. That must have been amazing being able to represent your country in hockey at home, <laughs> especially in Sydney growing up in New South Wales. I I can only imagine how amazing that was.
2: It was absolutely fantastic. You know, I we played the Olympic Games on, you know, a training pitch that I trained on – you know, for the last 10 years, wow. um, it was absolutely fantastic, you know, and I think, you know, looking back even now and it's, you know, it's sometimes it's almost difficult to say it because people think that, you know, you're just biased cause it's your country, but you know, Australia put on the best Olympics ever. Uh, and you know, the Sydney should be very proud and Australia should be very proud of the, those Olympics. Um, they set, you know, the standard for the rest of the Olympics for the years after, um it was you know I've never been able to play a game with all of the the people who were significant in my career in my life at one place at one time and you know that that happened at the Olympic Games you know in the Olympic final there were pretty much every person that was an integral part of my life was there was able to share that moment with us and that was absolutely fantastic
0: yeah, I don't want to make either of you two feel old or any of our listeners feel old, but I wasn't alive in old. 2000. But watching, <laughs> <was> two.
3: some,
0: <laughs> watching some of the uh, recent, it was the 20-year anniversary, of course, uh, this year, watching some old highlights on TV, some reruns of some of the events, and uh, like the opening ceremony, and, of course, Kathy Freeman's uh, famous uh, sprint was, it's just, it really gives you goosebumps. Oh, I, honestly, I've got goosebumps right now just thinking about it. I can't imagine you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just pretty surreal and yeah, pretty amazing. It's, uh, I don't want to just go over and over, but it must have been so amazing for you and a dream come true.
2: Yeah, look, uh, um, generally, we don't as athletes go to the, the uh, opening ceremony for hockey because we play the, the, the day after. And, you know, we had a meeting within our team with the staff, you know. Okay, so we play the next day at, I think we played at six o'clock that night. So the day after the opening, uh, n- normally we wouldn't go to the opening ceremony. And we just, look, I just, I remember, you know, it was, okay, what do we want to do? And I just said, look, guys, I, this is one once in a lifetime that you get to be in an opening ceremony at your own, you know, own st- city where you grew up in. The own country you know I think that we should do it and we did and you know that was I was fortunate to walk in next to Kathy Freeman you know and it was wasn't well you know wasn't yet known who was going to be you know lighting the flame and I just remember walking on with her and she was such a jovial is such a jovial person and It was absolutely fantastic, you know, coming into that crowd as the last team, the home team um, in front of such a huge crowd. And then at one point she was gone. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like I just, you know, I looked to my right and I'm like, okay, so she's doing it. How cool is that? And the way, you know, her entrance and her clothes, you know, it was – Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and I think for us as a hockey team, uh, we were very fortunate uh, to have Rochelle Hawks in our team who did the Olympic Oath and we were so very proud to have an athlete out of our sport and such an athlete. You know, she's the only, um, uh, you know, along alongside of Dawn Fraser to have three Olympic golds at three different Olympics. You know, that's such a proud moment for for her but also for our sport. You know, it was absolutely sensational.
1: Yeah, and I guess this is such a broad question, but it's tough. I can hear the warmth if you, like, rem- remembering and reminiscing about those Olympics, but what do you think? What was your favourite moment of the, your career? You achieved so much, but out of your playing career, what what moment or part do you think is something that you're most proud of? Uh,
2: it's not an easy question. It's
1: not, is it? Um, is it the broad ones are the no. toughest. Cause-
2: <laughs> well, it's not an easy question because, you know, I was proud of – just being part of the team. Uh, So, you know, I always say the Olympic medals, they're somewhere in the cupboard here. You know, I don't, they're more for the show for people who want to see a gold medal. Um, I don't hang them up. I don't have them on show because, you know, the warmest and the proudest moments that I have are the moments that we spent training together, working hard, laughing together, crying together, uh, creating a team. You know, that's the, that's, that's winning, winning tournaments is sort of like the, you know, uh, proving that what you've done has been good. You know, that's, that's been right and that we were the best, but proud. I'm proud of every single teammate I've ever played with because they made, uh, they made the hockey ruse. Uh, They made the player that I was just as I, you know, played a role in helping them be the player that they were. And
0: that's what I'm proud of. Yeah, I usually don't get too philosophical. I hope I don't use too many cliches either, but (laughs) journey, not destination. That's just the epitome, like enjoying the moments spent with your friends and your team. It's not the kind of uh, material things, the gold gold medals, just showing off those gold medals. And it's the... Like you said, the experiences you have, uh, I've obviously had n- nothing like that, but I guess ev- everyone can relate to the journey, not the destination. Huh? I can
1: tell why Alison's why a good coach. She's, she spoke like a true <laughs> coach there. I, I love that. I,
0: <laughs> and it's true
1: though. It's like it's the journey that's the most enjoyable part, isn't it?
2: Look, absolutely, and, you know, along the way, there are moments that you just hate it. It's not, it's not fun. Those hard you know, running it's, sessions. Well, <laughs> it is, it, you know, everyone said, oh, well, you know, you should enjoy it. It's not fun. It's not fun all the time.
0: That, that, that's what makes it good. The, the ups and downs of the whole journey is what really just makes it worthwhile, getting that gold medal or the Hockey World Cup win.
2: Absolutely, you know, and if you enter a program or a national program, thinking that it's all about having fun it's not but the environment has to be fun you know the environment that you're in that you create has to be an environment where people want to perform but also know that they're going to be hard times there's going to be hard times there's going to be uh, absolutely good times but you know uh, you you have to you also have to you also have to have moments where it's just fun
0: yeah of course we're uh, moving off from that as much as i hate to but Moving to the Netherlands, obviously, uh, for anyone that knows hockey, powerhouse. Now, like they're the place to go if you want to uh, be uh, part of amazing women's hockey or hockey in general uh, culture. Uh, was it like that when you moved there first as a player? And I, I, obviously, it's grown uh, since you've become a coach up to now. But was it like that? Really, because you really see the strength in that when you first moved.
2: Look in the in the women's program. I think back back when I moved over, it was definitely the case. I think there were more more teams in the first division that were very good, so the the competition was a little stronger. Uh, unfortunately, over the last few years, a lot of players have moved to the top three teams, which means that the competition is not as broad as what it could be. Um, the culture around the sport here, so you know, is is very strong. Uh, Every club has a clubhouse. Uh, every club here has a couple of thousand players in that club with a clubhouse, with own hockey fields. Uh, it's, you know, the environment here is absolutely uh, fantastic to become a very good hockey player.
1: Do you get paid um, to play club hockey over into the Netherlands?
2: Uh, yes.
1: What do you do. think about that?
2: Well, you know, we're not a professional sporter, huh? so I'm – once you ask players to not go to work, then really, you yeah. should, well, look, you know, if you're training throughout the day, if you're yeah. training on a Thursday from, you know, 9 till 1, um, they can't go to work. So I yeah, think so there's for those ho- hours.
1: So it, over there, so like players are just full-time hockey players, some of them that play for clubs in the country.
2: Well, um, the, most yeah. of the, a lot of, a lot of players in the top teams just play yeah. hockey. And because they train throughout the day, so you know they'll train, you know, maybe twice Tuesday, twice Thursday, once Friday, uh, and then play Sunday. Has it Um, has it always been like
1: that? Was it like that when you were playing? Were you just playing full time hockey during your career?
2: Well, I, I, you know, in Australia, I was working, um, also to support myself, but also to, you know, I think I think part of growing is that you, uh, you know, this needs to work as well. You know, you need to need to. Your brain needs to be stimulated doing other things. So, you know, I, that was part of something that I really believe in. Um, nowadays, if you look at the national players, there's very little time for them to be working, but they study. A lot of the, you know, I think 90, 95% of our players study.
1: So what sort of um, work were you doing then during your career? Well, or So you'd be I'll, training I'll hockey look, and then...
2: I, I worked in a cake shop. I cleaned how i cleaned companies you know i was a cleaner um i mowed lawns all things that you could pick up and put down pretty much straight away i did an internship for a few days a week at a veterinary clinic because i wanted to go into veterinary science i did a bit of you know i was kind of trying to find out what i what i enjoyed what i wanted but i never you know I, i did some intern work um as uh, I was, what was it, marking um, papers. Mm. You know, I was, I was kind of doing a lot of different things just to fill time but also to earn a little bit of extra money to, you know, to be able to pay the bills.
1: Yeah, and I've heard, I thought you've spoken about those experiences before because I'm I correct while right? we're talking about that transition into coaching. You've also, like, got involved in businesses so you could learn how to manage people. Is that correct?
2: Yep, yeah. So, look, I... I I moved pretty much straight from being a player into a coach, and I missed certain skill sets that I knew that I missed. I was living in a different culture. I was—I made the mistake of trying to force the Australian culture into the onto the Dutch culture. It didn't work. It worked in some aspects, but I had to respect the Dutch culture and coaching and just train a few teams and went into the management. because so I did a commercial economics degree here in Ireland, managed two, uh, three different com- uh, companies, um, and after that decided, okay, my skill set is now bigger. I've learned a lot. Uh, went back into coaching as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, what, what I'm kind of interested in, Lockie and I were having a bit of a chat about this uh, before the show. In Australia, hockey is considered – a bit more of a rich people sport than, say, your Aussie rules or your rugby league or something like that. Is it the same in over in the Netherlands or is it more the sport of the people? Obviously, you've got football, soccer as well.
2: <clears throat> look, it, it is more accessible because here – look, in, in Australia, uh, I think there's more hockey fields in Amsterdam than there is in all, all of Australia. Oh, wow. Um At our club here, we have, you know, the club that my son plays in. There's uh, five pitches. There's a club, you know, 100 metres further up that's got four. There's another one, you know, 100 metres to the left that's also got four, you know, and that's only one area in Amsterdam. So being accessible to be able to train on, you know, hockey fields that's not grass, you know, because I think in Australia they they still play on grass, which I'm not, Adverse to, I think that you know that you could play. Uh, you could play on grass. Given the weather in Holland, it makes it difficult to play on grass because it's wet. It's cold often, so it's wet, which which means you have to play on the on pitches. Um, it does make it an elite sport. A hockey to, to pay for a hockey field is you know it's an expensive thing. Uh, as a as an athlete, you need you know the right shoes. You need shin pads. You need a mouth guard. You need a hockey stick. Uh, and then you pay your fees. I think, you know, you're a $1,000 further. That's not for everyone,
3: definitely.
2: unfortunately. <clears throat> you know, I'd like to see it a lot, You know, much, much more accessible for more people to be able to play, definitely.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm by no means a hockey expert or anything like that, but the few times I've played it just uh, for PE class or whatever, and especially watching it, I love watching it, but the few times I've played it, it's just – such an enjoyable thing. It would just be great if it was more accessible to everyone because it's a sport that I think so many people would enjoy. So
1: It's a lot of fun to play.
0: Yeah, it, to the sports minister, the federal sports minister, if he's listening, uh, put some sure more fun is. into hockey, please. Uh, that would be uh, much appreciated from the three of us. <laughs> but uh, I, doing my research, uh, I might be wrong in saying this, but did you coach a men's team in the Netherlands?
2: I did. I coached... Uh... The top men's team here in Holland. Um, We the first period of time that I was assistant coach, uh, we were won the competition twice in the two years that I coached. Pretty successful, fantastic. We had a yeah, we had a look. We had a fantastic team, and we were we were really good. And then I moved to the girls, uh, and then from the women back to the men, um, where I took over as head coach and in that period of time we were undefeated until I got asked to do the national team so uh, it was yeah it was a fantastic time yeah.
0: yeah yeah just following up on that i think in probably the vast majority of sports around the world you've got a really clear split between you're either a coach of the men or a coach of the women but you have coached both men and women and uh ho- hockey just seems like a sport that is uh, more, like the genders are less segregated where like the women can play with men and they're just probably viewed by as many people as men and uh, women can coach men, men can coach women. Is that, well, obviously it's a good thing, but uh, what what are your views on why that is?
2: Oh, look, I think it happens uh, not often enough. I think it's, uh, you know, this has actually been in a, 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 a subject of discussion the last months why, you know, why there's not more women coaching at all. You know, there's, there's, there's a lack of women coaching in sport. I think there's a lack of women coaching men's sport. I think that there's, there's this given that <clears throat> there's, there's ne- it's never questioned why men can't, why, why men coach women, but it's always questioned why can women or why should women be able to coach men? Which, that's wrong. So I think it begins with that question and it begins there. Why is it assumed? And I just think that that needs to be this. If you if you ask the same question there to men, then you we might we might be you know getting more more answers to it. I believe that <coughs> women are more empathetic than men. I think that women uh, have more emotional intelligence than men. I think that men move much quicker into the ego side of things. You know, uh, who's you know uh, sort of um gorilla gorilla attitude you know hitting yourself on the on the on the chest you know making yourself big uh, roaring you know using your voice and women are much more empathetic and uh, have a higher emo- emotional intelligence so they're able to um be much more successful with teams i think if given the chance
1: Definitely. I can't believe it's like 2020. I don't even know why genders still comes into the discussion. It just should be the best candidate yeah. should come into the thing. So, But it's good that you obviously got that opportunity um, to coach the men's team and just shows that hopefully slowly it is starting to get better. But I think Harper mentioned that still the Australian women's team hasn't had a female coach. Is that correct? I believe so. Well, hopefully that will
0: change soon. <laughs> yeah. You got uh, any ambitions for that in the future or can you not say? <laughs>
2: look i've uh, i've applied for it in the past i just didn't get the job yeah. um which was definitely disappointing um
0: was that recent and
2: or- uh no look uh i've not recently 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 no but it's i you know i i applied for it uh i didn't get the job uh and now i'm the, the dutch women's coach um a number of years ago, I'd had a second chat about applying for the job, um, but chose not to because I had a job here. And applying for a job and not knowing whether you'd get it or not, and having a job here, yeah, there's no, there's no doubt that you'll go for the one where you've, you know, you've got a signed contract.
1: We're coaching the number one um, team in the world. It's pretty, pretty good job as it is. Doing a good job over there.
2: Oh, look, you know. Uh, I have never, um, I've always said that I'd love to, to coach uh, the Australian hockey team. I think, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot out of playing in that team. Uh, so I've never been quiet about wanting to coach it. Uh, but, uh, you know, the opportunity hasn't ever arised. I've never got the job. Um, and I am coaching the best team in the world now. So, you know, that's where it is at this point.
1: So just on that, so obviously with your coaching, so I was listening to another co- podcast in preparation too. You spoke about something that you feel like makes you so successful is the fact that before every like start of every session, you do 25 to 30 minutes of just basic skills. And I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe just from my playing spot, but I feel like maybe 10 or 15 years ago, like sort of went away from a bit like that, like the basic skills just weren't practiced enough. Is that maybe that was different in hockey, but... It's really an important thing just to practice practice the basics even if you're playing at the highest level.
2: Look, it's a struggle here also in Holland, you know, when people, when I say, look, our our sessions are pretty standard. eh? So we have the same um, build-up in our training sessions pretty much every session. Uh, So every session involves 15 to 20, 25 minutes of basic skills. Um, Why do I do that? Is because you need to learn that at different levels and different speeds, you know. If everyone can stand still and, and be good, But the game's not played standing still. Uh, The game's played moving and running at different speeds and different directions, so you need to train that. That's not just trained playing games. You know, there's this whole thing about small games and playing a lot of small games, but you need to be able to hit the ball, receive the ball, pass the ball and receive the ball at a very high level. Now, that's only done if you practice that.
0: Is it different at club level? Because obviously you're not with the all your players constantly because you're only the national coach but is it different the club coaches have a different view on that
2: Um, mostly yeah Yeah, that's why we spend a lot of time doing it ourselves and uh look you know uh, every coach has their own own way of coaching and training and you have to respect that you know and uh that's something that I do. I I respect the coaches that coach them. They play an integral role in in our program because I, you know, the they see the players more often than I see them through the week. So I don't get, you know, we don't have a full time program like the hockey roos do. Uh, so I'm dependent on what they do and how they train. So you know, like we have a a, a pretty good contact with. Ensuring that we're doing the right things, but in the end, they decide what they do with their players.
0: I know, I know, we've got lots of uh, aspiring national team coaches listening to the show. Have you got any uh, tips for keeping like a good team unity? Uh, have have good uh, bonds between all of your players at a national level because they all are at or well, maybe four or five different clubs in the Netherlands case.
2: I oh, look, the first, the first look, the the first thing is you need to be open and you need to be Uh, honest, Uh, open in your communicating with the players and that's back and forward. eh? So you need to, if you're willing to, my motto is if you're, you need to, every question that you ask, you need to be willing to answer. Uh, So if I'm asking the players to be the best that they can be and I'm criticising or, you know, giving feedback on that, they should be able to do the same thing back to me. So that's open and honest communication with each other. So it's, you know, that's, that's where it starts. And that's where a good relationship with a player starts is being able to get the best out of each other. I need the players to get to, to become a better coach. They need me to become a a better player. So that's, you know, it's a two way thing. Uh, The second thing is, I think that you need to allow uh, fun. A lot of the time, you know, you're in the national team, this has to be serious, and you have to train hard, and training hard is serious environment, and you can't laugh, and you can't. That's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, there are moments when you ask for full concentration, you need to be committed now, 100%, where, you know, where, uh, we're serious about what we're doing. And there's moments where you allow for a lot of fun and enjoyment. Um, that needs to be part of your program. Fun needs to be part of your program. You need to have enjoyment and pleasure in what you're doing.
1: You succeed uh, when you're enjoying what you're doing.
2: Exactly. If you have a player turning up and she's just not happy, it's you, your job to find out why, and it's your job to find uh, to to, to, uh, to change that. That's 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 coaching. Coaching's not about what happens on the field. Look, there's trainers and there's coaches. A trainer uh, puts cones on the field and ensures that the what we're practicing is um, applicable to how we want to play. A coach coaches uh, um, behaviours.
1: Which is why I guess your management skills that you learn from the business, uh, like your business that you're managing earlier, is so important to the role that you're currently doing.
2: Absolutely. You know, and, and coaching is about observing. So, uh, yeah, I have two assistants who do most of the sessions. So I'm on the, on the field and I'm doing so feedback. So what is your staff to...
1: like? What is, how, like? What is your current staff Right now you mentioned that, so you have two assistants. Uh,
2: I have a full-time assistant slash analyst. I have, and the rest that I will mention are all part-time. Mostly we just have the training. I have assistant trainers, uh, my analyst who videos all of our sessions as well. Um, I have two doctors, uh, three physios, um two physiologists strength and conditioning um two clinical psychologists one sports psychologist um i have a dietician uh, i have a video operator uh, i have a goalkeeping trainer uh, as well who's responsible for the goalkeepers um and i have someone at the hockey office who does all all of sort of my planning and that sort of stuff yeah
0: yeah like a lovely bit yeah, you mentioned uh, right at the start when we were talking about the Netherlands, you, you've been there for um, like 20 years now, but uh, I'm really curious about how the hockey culture and the hockey scene in the Netherlands has shaped you, uh, and on the flip side of that, how you've shaped their hockey culture, if at all. Don't be too modest <laughs> here, but would you keep going into <laughs> that?
2: Uh, look, like I said at the beginning, you know, I made the mistake of trying to, you know, impose the hockey culture and the sports culture of Australia into the, the Dutch way of living. Um, you know, in Holland, they segment uh, supporters in, in football matches, you know, soccer matches. So it's kind of like this, it's completely different to what we, you know, we are used to. Um, so for me, you know, I needed to Really take a look at the culture in Holland, you know, it's very, uh, we yes, but, yeah, everything's yes, buts. you know, they need an explanation about everything in, in Australia, you know, they, you don't need to explain everything in Holland, they need to know the, the what and the why and the how and the when, uh, you know, before you you're even began, um, which I didn't take into account in the beginning. Um, so I balanced that out of when, when it's necessary, necessary to know that and when it's not necessary. So that's like an integration of the both, both of the cultures. Um, what I also did is, uh, you know, we're in, in Australia, I think we're more owners of our own development than what we are in Holland. In Holland, it's um, because it's such a small country, it's very easy to have to put ownership of your development onto those around you. Um, uh, I moved to, you know, I moved to Perth. Now it, Rick is responsible for my development. That's not a case. That's not the case in Australia. You know, you're there and you need to keep developing because you make the choice to move there. You, so you, you, you know, you really keep ownership of your your development in Australia. And in Holland, it's very much because everything's accessible. Right? There's a field pretty much. Everywhere you can, uh, parents bring you to training, or you, you know, you're riding a bike that's pretty expensive, or a scooter, or a car. You know, everything's it's much easier here. Uh, and having it been easier, uh, you take less ownership and less responsibility. Um, when I started coaching the national team, that was one of the first things I changed. Look, you, if you want this, you need to do it yourself. Um, I'm the coach. I don't have all the answers, and I, you know, I'm happy to say as a coach that we don't have all the answers. And I think any coach who thinks they have the answer to everything, then you need to stop coaching because <laughs> you know that's uh, do something different.
1: So you're constantly looking to improve in any way or any new methods, yeah.
2: Every day, you know, and also being vulnerable, you know, letting the players know I don't have the answer to this, but I will find it. You know, or I'll find someone who does know the answer. Um. I, and putting back the responsibility into the players is one of the biggest things that we've changed. I was going to yeah. say, yeah,
1: I don't know why people – some people are afraid to admit that they don't know something or I, I just don't get that. I feel like there's nothing wrong with, yeah, being vulnerable, like you said, and just acknowledging It's like, yeah, I don't have all the answers, but I'm gonna, I'm working as hard as I can
0: to find them. Like, just being human, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, look, you know, but it's, it's, uh, it's also a position where uh, if you don't say that, if you're not open to saying, look – um, I will make mistakes. One of the first things I've said, look, I will make mistakes in our endeavour to be the best uh, because I don't know if the path we choose will be the right one. I'll know that when we've won or lost. But I will choose a path with, together with our staff that we think the best, it is the best path. You guys will have to help us uh, and give us feedback on whether it's working along the way. But I don't know if the path we choose is the right path. And, you know, that honesty with your players means growth together.
1: Yeah, and I think this is a perfect little, little segue to our last question. It's do you have any life philosophy, any little quote that you live by that you think that I guess you sort of like base decisions on or that you feel like, yeah, emulates anything with how you go about it?
2: Yeah, look, uh the biggest thing for me is keep learning and endeavour to be the best that you can be in every yeah. way possible. Nice and So, simple. you know, that's... Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And have fun along the way, you know. If I stop enjoying what I'm doing, then I'll stop coaching.
0: Yeah, lucky. I've got to say, I reckon we could make a motivational book out of all the life philosophies we've got I guess because it's pretty inspirational stuff. But, uh, Alison, we're going to uh, – we've finished up with the questions, but we're going to get into our final segment. This is a very famous segment we've got. It's called the Where Do We Begin Quiz. Uh-oh. <laughs> So I've got five questions. I'm going to pit you against Lockie. And they're five questions all very, very vaguely uh, related. They've got some loose connection to you and your career. So I've got five questions. Your name is your buzzer. And uh, as per tradition, I'm going to start with question one. Are we ready to go?
1: Feeling about good about this one.
2: You (laughs) are? All (laughs) right.
0: Locky's on a bit of a bad run of form, so hopefully uh, he can, hopefully for him, he can pick this up. But Alison, I've gone for you, as always, always support our guests on the quiz. But our first question uh, Am I correct in saying your birthday is June 12th? Alison, no. No? <laughs> really? Is it actually not June 12th? No,
2: it's not June 12th.
0: <laughs> oh my God. I've looked it up on the Wikipedia page or somewhere and it says it was June 12th. If,
2: no, it's 21st of June. It's the other way around.
1: Oh. Cut this bit out, Harps.
0: Oh, my God. I've, I've based like two questions on June 12th. Okay. Anyway, I'll just admit 12. I've got
1: an idea. We'll, just change, we'll, go, we'll sneak into the records office, change your birth certificate, yeah. and get, nobody will know a thing.
2: Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Anyway. I was like, I was like is the, okay, is this a joke?
0: Or? We'll just say a couple of questions aren't going to be related to your career at all, but I'll ask them anyway. So okay. uh, let's just say that hypothetically your birthday is June 12th. A famous, right. event, uh, that on June <laughs> a famous event that happened on June twelfth. Famous event that happened on June twelfth in nineteen forty-two. Uh, was in Amsterdam and someone received a diary as a birthday present. Who was that? Lockie,
1: song? Lockie,
0: Lockie, and Frank. And Frank. Frank is absolutely correct. Start off with an easy one. Lockie, build your confidence and then we'll let Alison shoot you down on the next few questions. Oh,
1: gee whiz, <laughs> I'm feeling good about this one, Harps. Okay. I reckon question. you've
2: got all the. I reckon you've got all the questions, Lockie. I reckon this is like, uh, except for the June twelfth, that, that, that spun you up a bit. Yeah. All right,
0: let's go. That's embarrassing <laughs> for me. Sorry about that. Anyway, question two. So uh, obviously, I know for a fact that your name is Allison. So I can't get that wrong. And another Allison. Uh, there's a footballer uh, called Allison uh, who plays as a goalkeeper for Liverpool and Brazil. Uh, having earned forty-four caps for Brazil so far, can you name someone—a man or a woman who's had more caps for the Brazilian football team? Lockie, Lockie, uh, Tiago Silva. Tiago Silva is absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> I have, have a look at the Wikipedia page, and Tiago Silva has had ninety-three caps for the Brazil national team. So Lockie's 2 0 up. But How on really- earth
2: do you choose Tiago Silva? The song. And not a Ronaldinho or someone yeah. like that. Oh, he's too, you know, he's 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 too old for you or not. You don't know who that is.
0: <laughs> there, there, there's a uh, song that I think a lot might be into. Uh be, he's into his rap and his hip hop and stuff. here uh, called Thiago Silva, so he probably knows it from there. Uh Alison, would you have said Pele or Ronaldinho or something, I'm guessing?
2: Yeah, Ronaldinho.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, you're still on Allison, so don't get your head down just yet. We're up to question three. <laughs> Uh, so I believe uh, the date uh, where you won your first Olympic gold medal was the first of August, nineteen ninety-six. Have I got that right, or you don't know?
2: I have no idea.
0: <laughs> I, I, I think it was. I think it was. Let, let's just hope. Uh, please don't look that up, any listeners. Uh, anyway, uh, another thing that happened on the first of August, nineteen ninety-six, was George R. R. Martin publishing the first novel in his series, A Song of Ice and Fire. Which TV show was both named Lockie, after this novel? Game
1: of Thrones. Lockie.
0: Nailed it. Game of Thrones yeah. is absolutely correct. I
2: have never watched it, Game of Thrones. Never seen it.
0: Oof. Neither. Have you, uh, you have, Lockie, yeah. I'm guessing? Love it. Apart from, se-
1: from yeah. season one to six is good.
0: Yeah, okay. Never
2: seen
0: it. <laughs> no, never seen it. Yeah, I haven't really got any intentions of checking it out really. But uh, we we'll move on to question four. Uh Another June 12 question, I'm afraid, that doesn't relate to your career. But uh, question four, Uh, it's another June 12 question, I'm afraid. Uh, See, look,
2: that spun me because I have no idea what happens on June 12th. My whole life's (laughs) based around June 21st.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's completely uh, torn the quiz apart, my misinterpretation of the Wikipedia page. Anyway, question four, this is a closest to the pin question. Uh, So closest to the pin Nelson Mandela was sentenced to life in prison on June 12 of which year? Uh,
2: Yeah. Um, 71.
0: 71 is incorrect, but it's closest Uh. to the pin, so we'll give Lockie a shot. I've got no idea.
1: Was it? I'll go 76.
0: 76 is also incorrect, and I can confirm that it was 1964, so Alison's got the point. We'd love that from 64. you, Alison. Oh by by the
1: way, Harps, yeah. it just goes to show you can't trust Wikipedia. So any kids who are basing their assignments <laughs> off Wikipedia, do the work first. Harper is exactly. a perfect example here. Don't don't be like Harper.
0: <laughs> I, I can say yeah. I did look up Alison's Wikipedia page just then and it does say the 21st of June. So I've <laughs> oh, just, no. I, I checked that about three times and I must have just had in my head this June 12th.
1: I reckon, so, I reckon <laughs> Alison has edited it while we've been recording to fix it <laughs> up just to make you look like even sillier, mate.
0: Yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would be surprised, honestly. Uh, anyway, question uh, five. It's 3 1 to Lockie. but Alison, you're still in 3-1. the game. 3 1. I got the first one. Hold on. I know. No, I
2: got the first one. Alison 12. No, oh, no, busted.
0: Oh, in so first oh. yeah, 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 yeah.
2: yeah. I, no, 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 no. I said no. But did you say yes? Lockie
0: I missed said. That. And, uh-huh. Lockie said, and for. Oh, oh, the June 12th one. That wasn't an actual question. So, <laughs> Oh, <yeah>. right. <laughs> oh, now you. Okay, so you guys are
2: playing false. So, you know, I can't it, win. Is this for double points? Is this it's like not winner for double takes
0: point. all? It's not for double points, but it is a who am I question. So I'm going to go down from five points. All the way down to one point with a series of clues, all leading up to the person uh, who I am. And uh, once you buzz in and get it wrong, you can't buzz in again until the other person gets it wrong as well. So, Alison, you've got to get three points to win this outright. So we start with a (laughs) five-point clue. I was born on the 5th of May... 1988 in London, England, and I can confirm that is the actual birthday. It's not something, uh, a misreading of the Wikipedia page.
1: I've got no idea. I've
0: got no idea. Okay. We'll move on to the four-point clue. Uh, it's a bit tricky getting it from there. For four points, after graduating from the Brit School in 2006, I signed a recording contract with XL Recordings. So, Born in 88. I said 98. 88. 5th of May, 88. 88. Yep. Uh I'll move on to the three-point clue. of May,
2: 88?
0: Yep. Should I move on to the three-point clue?
2: Okay.
0: Yeah, all right, three-point clue. So you've got to get it here to win it outright, Alison. I released my debut album in 2008, and it went on to go eight times platinum in the UK and triple platinum in the US. Since then, I've released two more albums, most of which I have written myself.
2: Yeah. Alison.
0: Alison. Go for it. Adele. Adele. It's absolutely correct. That is very good. Well done. You interview Adele? Yeah,
2: I like Adele, yeah. Yeah, ah. and
0: of course, yeah. same initials as you. That's how it's all you Adele Atkins is her full name. Oh, so there you go. That. Did you know that?
2: No, I didn't know that. I just call her Adele.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think most people do. That's a great comeback, Alison. Well done. Lockie, what do you have to say for yourself?
1: I
2: think the, uh, the
1: better person won in my view. <laughs>
0: yeah. By
1: the, way, by the way, Alison, you have my bank details here for me throwing that quiz.
2: Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll, 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 I'm refreshing. I'm refreshing. <laughs>
0: Alison, I know that's going to be one of the most, uh, you might, one of your proudest achievements uh, in your career so it's far. Start there with so the 2000
1: just, Olympics.
0: Exactly. All, all your gold <laughs> medals, uh, everything. We'll, we'll send the medal and the cash prize out to you as soon as we can. Uh, but I think we'll leave it there. I want to thank you very much for coming on, Alison. And it was great to speak to you.
2: No problem. Thanks, guys. You do, this is, you do it really good. It's really fun. Thanks.
1: Wow, how good was that, Harps?
0: Alison Annan, who was super interesting to get perspective uh, of a coach, because we never had a coach in the podcast, of course, and someone that lives overseas, lives in the Netherlands, and a hockey player, a sport many of us might not be familiar with, but super duper interesting, Alison Annan.
1: Yeah, just loved having you on. Thank you so much. We appreciate it so much that you jumped onto the podcast. Um, and now it's time to plug the socials. So you can find us on Facebook at Where Do We Begin, and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at WDWB Pod. That's WDWB Pod. So please follow us on the socials. It helps massively. Recommend us to your friends, your family, your dog, just whoever.
0: Yeah, exactly. But. Uh, Many people have been awaiting this moment, uh, getting back into the music. Uh, We didn't do it last week, but we're going to get back into this. So uh, this week, we've got a song uh, by Molly Shears and Sophia Winter. Great mates of mine did VCM Music this year, finished their year 12. They recorded a cover of the Yebba song in this very studio, actually, called My Mind, a cover of the Yebba song. So I'll let them take it away. Uh, Thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, This is My Mind by Molly Shears and Sophia Winter.